The Club Championship Show on OTB Sports. Brilliant game of hurling, edge your seat stuff, Tony Kelly, masterclass from start to finish. To win a Connacht Senior Championship is uh, it's special. The Club Championship Show. Subscribe to the GEA podcast feed on the OTB Sports app now. To sunnier climbs uh, all the way down under. I'm delighted to say Sarah Rowe is with us. Sarah, good morning, good evening to you. How are you? Good evening. Thanks for having me on. And I would love to say that it was warm over here at the moment, but it's actually, we live in Melbourne and it's a bit different. So it's actually only about 13 degrees today. All right. Okay. So, I mean, it's definitely better than it us. Goes, but... it, it goes, yeah, it goes between phases all the time. It's one of those places that it goes between a different season every few hours. So you could, it could be 30 degrees one minute and then down to 15 a couple of hours later, it's mental. But um, hopefully the weather gets better now coming into Christmas. So you're in the off-season at the moment. How's that going? What's what's What are you actually up to? Yeah, the off-season is good. It's it's weird because, again, we're kind of still in the dark as to when our season starts um, again next. But the off-season, you take like maybe a couple of days off max and then you're into prehab plans, rehab plans and all that stuff. I had a bit of tendinopathy in my knee towards the end of season so I'm kind of on a prehab plan at the moment and just managing my body and getting the best out of it so you're still training you're still training probably a good 10 to 15 hours a week so it just it doesn't really stop and it just it's kind of more on your own terms probably is the way I'd say it. You find it hard to believe Sarah that it's been that it's been five years over there like does it feel like five years? Oh it's I was thinking that the other day when someone asked me they're like my sister's actually coming over in December with a couple of her friends. And I was like, I think she's going to be blown away by the fact that she's like, you actually have a life here. Like, I think my family thinks that I come over here on a holiday for six months and then I come home for six months. But I think, yeah, being here five years, it was like a real moment where I was like, God, I have been here a long time and I properly have a life over here now. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, been, so, it's been so long, but it feels like it's such a short time. You still have the you still have the Mayo accent at least. There's no there's no Aussie twang just yet. Oh, don't worry, I can't can't lose that. Imagine I went home to Ireland with an Aussie accent. I'd be told to get back on the flight again and go sort my life out. <laughs> you would be killed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To be fair, <laughs> uh, you say you've got a life there. Is that something that you think that is part of your future long term? Then because like it's difficult to give up the lifestyle, presumably. Yeah, it is. It's. It's always catch twenty two. I think. I think for me, like, there's a few things um, to play. Like, obviously, you're playing sport at a professional level, and it's amazing and what it brings. And you're constantly learning. You're constantly getting feedback. If it's not about AFLW, it's about the person you are and the person that you need to become. Like, so it's, you're always getting feedback. And in that working environment, you're surrounded by people who are the highest performers in their fields, and you're getting such good treatment I suppose that it's really hard to up and leave that um, but then the other part of it is that you go my family are the most important thing to me in my life and I try to stay as connected as I can as possible but that's also becomes difficult when you're working with time zones and all that so it's it's always you're kind of weighing up like how long do you do this for could you stay here long term I don't know I think it'd be too hard to be away from my family for that amount of time Is there so obviously the sport is relatively new. Like your experience of uh, different coaching styles stretches to international soccer, uh, now the AFL, and also very high level Gaelic football. So you've got an incredible level of experience and, and compare and contrast uh, what everybody has to do. 
I'm, I'm not retiring yet by any stretch of the imagination, but there is a professional pathway to become a coach in the WFL, AFL, if, if that was of interest to you. Yeah, see, that's actually not something that I'm in any way interested in. Right. I think I wouldn't wouldn't have the patience to be a coach. I think I I would I know myself. I probably favour the ones who were doing everything right, who were training at a high level. Because you know, I suppose even with our SNC, like he is an he's done so much for our club. His name is Paul Turk. He's come in this year and he's completely changed the culture and the way we train and everything. But like he puts in what a player puts into him as well. So if you put in an effort, he will give you back that same amount of effort. So I think that would be the way I would probably be and feel as a coach. But like as a coach, obviously you need to work on everyone. But the side that I am really interested in is like the cultural side of things, the leadership side of things. And that for me fascinates me. And I think that's because of the three different environments that I've been in that I've always been really curious as to like, why is GA like this? Why is soccer like this? Why is AFL like this? And in general, what it all comes down to is like people and making sure that everyone feels valued within their environment, everyone feels comfortable and supported all the time. But it's very different in each world and they all have their own set of their own culture within the sport as well. So I think for me, that's the space that I'd like to work in. And I've been doing a bit of work recently with them. AIA, who are major sponsors of Collingwood and working on their culture within their business and then doing a small bit with Deloitte. So that's kind of helping me get more experience. They do like all this personality profiling and that's something that goes into when they're scouting players and when they're drafting players, they do all this profiling and testing on the player because they need to make sure that while being a good player is important, like being a good person that's going to bring really good energy to the club is also important because that can cause just as much problems that may be only seen off the field, but really are brought on the field as well. So that's probably the area that I'm really passionate about. And is that is that maybe more likely then to be the type of uh, post-sports career that you get into? Yeah, I think so. I think I have a background in neuro-linguistic programming. So like, that's all about subconscious mind and like that psychology side of things has been something that I've always tapped into. I've always loved it. And I think you can unlock secrets to life and you're far more in control of your own emotions than you think. So I think that's the side of things that I'll definitely go into in the future. Um, But yeah, I love working with people. I love trying to understand like every year is so different. Every year brings a, a whole different energy to your team, but culture for me is number one and like it just when our culture is good our performance is good and when our culture is not good our performance is generally not good either because there has to be so much trust within your team and you spend so many hours together that you basically go along people's journeys of life as well as um, you do and then the energy that you're expending within training as well is just like it's very full on the season like we do we have so many meetings and I was actually talking to a soccer player today over here and she said oh like I have a meeting today and I was like she plays for um, Melbourne City and she said I have a meeting today and I have another one tomorrow and I was like how many meetings do you have a week and she said two I was like we have a meeting for absolutely everything we must have six meetings a day and then we have meetings about meetings and then we have individual review a review with the coach we're constantly reviewing um our performance whereas in the soccer world they don't do that as much and in the football world from my from the last time I was in with Mayo we didn't do that as much either so it's, it's different everywhere you go if we take anxiety which you mentioned there so there is a spectrum of anxiety and Many of us will feel what I would, without any medical qualification, 
but what I would call an appropriate level of apprehension about certain events. It is a human mm-hmm. experience. We get nervous. We carry on. We push through it. And the spe- spectrum goes right the way all the, the way through to panic attacks and people finding it pretty much impossible to function. Mm-hmm. So give us a sense of your experience of that spectrum. And, and you know, there's day to day and there's probably your more extreme days as well, I would think. Yeah, I mean, it varies. Even coming on the show now, even coming on to do the Zoom call now, there, there is a level which is which is quite normal. You get that level of anxiety when you're preparing to, you know, to speak or to perform or whatever it is. You still get that level of feeling, and I sort of always go that it always sort of hits me there. That feeling in the stomach, and then the the butterflies and the nerves. You know, don't you know, don't make a mistake, don't say anything that will make yourself look foolish. All these little voices that enter your head, and, and it's the same for so many people, isn't it? I think for me, when it got um, out of hand, it would manifest itself in panic attacks, which I've had. I've mentioned before in a couple of the bit pieces that I've done that I've had a couple on the on the pitch in a Premier League game. But you sort of become such a master of masking it and controlling it and going again and all of the things that was drilled into us coming through as players to just pick yourself up and put your chest out and go again. I think football is in particular the environments that I've been in and know about. It is that mask that comes on and you you almost flick a switch I think despite everything that's going on around you, how you're feeling, I've always managed to be able to flick a switch into into work mode, whether that be a Premier League game, international game. When I became a coach, I used to sometimes, when I was struggling a little bit, it might be before I was delivering a meeting to the, to the group, to the whole squad, yeah. get that feeling again, building and building. But I think sometimes it's the ones that can perform under pressure and flick that switch and deliver. They're the one, they're the ones that at times can find a way of pushing through it. But it got to the stage with with myself that it was just becoming too big a cost in my daily sort of anxiety levels of not really enjoying it, of constantly putting pressure on myself to to perform as a player or deliver the, the best session as a coach. You know, everything has, which it doesn't, but in my mind, everything had to be perfect yes. in everything I did. So that daily thinking and feeling of that, it was just becoming too too big a cost. And on top of that, as you as you know, four out of the last seven years, I've been living away from home as well. And that's never easy, living away from home six nights a week. Yeah. There's so much in that answer. Panic. Yeah, so sometimes just go off on one there. No, no, no. So, so, yeah. pa- pa- like, let's not brush by having a panic attack as a Premier League player on a pitch. How yeah. does that happen? I mean, how can you even continue? It was, I remember my first experiences of it were, I was really young, actually. My first, probably my first experience would have been secondary school age. So I, I did speak about it, not in great detail. I did from quite a young age, um, get some counseling, uh, not around sort of the, the panic kind of disorder and the anxiety, but just around sort of some of the other thoughts and feelings that was going on. So kind of by the time 
I would have the experience in a Premier League game, which I did, which wasn't often. It was a handful of times, sure. but I kind of developed coping mechanisms to dealing with it, which was, you know, not to fight it, to kind of let it sort of let it breathe, let it burn out itself. Because the more I used to fight against it, the worse it would get, you know, the more you panic. So I'd been there before. I knew it wasn't going to kill me. So by, by the time you were a Premier League footballer experiencing it on the pitch, you weren't ambushed by it. It was almost a degree of, oh, here's my old friend. You had a, you had a set of tools almost to handle it. Absolutely. Absolutely yeah. that. You know, when I was younger, I didn't know what the hell was going on. Sure. Well, that's what well, people, yeah. I mean, the, <laughs> a bit like the name on the tin, uh, the panic sets in and people don't quite know what's going on initially anyway. It does. And you feel, I did certainly, I felt like I was the only one on the planet experiencing those feelings. So I've never really did, never, never really spoke about that in detail until actually I spoke about it in the summer when I left, left Forest. You know, and the yeah. more I spoke to people, the more people that have reached out, they've experienced similar issues in whatever line of work they're in is, is incredible. But yes. yeah, it, it, it almost became like you just exactly like described there, the old friend that, you know, rears his ugly head, but yeah. one I've dealt with many times before, you know, just look after my breathing patterns, accept that it's here for a period of time and that it will pass. Um, obviously don't pass me the ball in that period because I'm not sure what I'm going to do with it, but as, as stupid as it sounds, it might be that period in a game where I would just, you know, position, position myself on the pitch for a couple of minutes involved in the game, but knowing that I just had to get through that little period of time and, you know, I'd be back, yeah. so to speak, back in the room. And like what, pray Damien Duff doesn't get the ball and run at you in those uh, couple of minutes as well. I mean, it's surreal. Well, it would be easier without the ball because you could just clatter into someone and take a yellow card. It was when we had the ball, that's when I I did find an issue. But I'd, also, I'd often find as well, it was... It could be a night game. I think sometimes with the build-up of a night game, mm. you know, the minute you wake up, you always knew it was a match day. The day of a game when I woke up, I knew it was a match day with the way my body was reacting. Yeah. So you got that for the whole day, all afternoon, thinking about your performance, getting ready for the game, you know, thinking about the week you've just had, thinking of everything. So by the time the evening kickoff comes, under the floodlights, wherever it might be, I think... That used to have an effect on me as well. I always used to prefer the early kickoffs, almost up, have your pre-match meal, head to the stadium, games under underway and done, rather than the whole. I've always been like that. The whole, even in a similar way to when I took the Nottingham Forest team after Chris Hutton uh, left, I, I was caretaker manager for yeah. one game, and it was almost like the ideal, not the ideal in terms of what happened and. Uh, the situation but I was asked to take it I said yes and basically got cracking the next morning and took the game at the weekend if you said to me right you're gonna um, manage a game in two or three months not not yet but you've got a whole length of time to build up to it yes that's when things kind of I've learned a little bit about myself yeah that's when things sometimes I can just overthink overanalyze put a load of scenarios in my head, whereas sometimes when it's just, right, get cracking, off you go, mm. I, I find that a little bit easier.
I'm sure it's been a busy week. Probably have your players sound like I do with the the voice in absolute bits. It's a not a bad achievement. Ah, yeah, no, it's just great, you know, a great achievement. And um, I suppose the whole thing has happened so quick as well, you know, and the the, the club won the first Derry Championship ever in their history last year. So there's great emotion with that. And then I suppose this year to follow it up. And then so suddenly then to, to win Ulster as well. It's, it's uh, I suppose, it's just a bit of a roller coaster at the minute. And uh, it's something that, you know, haven't been used to for a wee while. And uh, so now it's been brilliant. And to see, I suppose, to see the joy on everybody's faces and how much it does for the community and, and, and that sort of thing, is, that's, that's what it's all about. I think the, um, wasn't it 2004 yourself with the loop up in Derry winning the Ulster Club and hard to believe you went on then in the semi-final again to play a Galway opposition in Caltra. It's kind of coming back around again. It's almost like the, the, the stars have aligned uh, playing playing Moy Cullen in the, in the semi-final. So it's, a, it's all a bit bizarre, I'm sure, for you. Yeah, yeah, it, and does it look at it? It, it? it seems a long time ago, and yet it seems like yesterday as well. And yes, it's, it's strange the way it, it turned out, you know. And, and that time, obviously, Calter got the better of us. And um, look at we're we're under no illusions this time as well. And that Mike Cullner are a seriously strong outfit, and you know they've they had a lot of representatives on the the Gala panel. And uh, but look at I suppose every team's in the exactly the same boat. It's it, it's a, a great opportunity to to try and get through to an All Ireland final, and and everybody will be in the same frame of mind. And uh, suppose we are no different. You, um, I said this on the show the other day, Malachi. You, you, you won't have seen this, but um, I was I was I was going on about how everything you you seem to touch uh, turns to gold, no matter what team you you show up with, whether they've uh, won a county title before or not, won a provincial title before or not. <clears throat> There's just something in that. You, you seem to you seem to strike gold everywhere you go. Yeah, yeah, I, I did hear that, Shane. To be honest with you, and uh, I was, I was uh, thinking the, the morning men won't let you down. <laughs> <laughs> you can send me the twenty. And, uh, and, then, and then I started to think, do I owe him money or something? <laughs> but no, um, I no look at the, it's just you know it's, it's it's a matter of you know everywhere I've gone, I've been very lucky in many ways, and that you know I've I've, I've inherited teams who are very. Hungry to achieve success, um, you know. Everybody rode in behind it. Everybody got invested in it. And again, very lucky that that um, everybody involved in the whole setup, you know, was a, of the same uh, <clears throat> frame of mind and and have have no work really hard. And look at us; it's no different in 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 um, Glen at the minute. You know, right from the the day we went in, the the club have have been so. So progressive, so ambitious. Um, you know, anything we've asked, they've, they've been more than happy to help us out with. You know, and, and again, you know, obviously Ryan Porter's with me again, and Ryan's a, a massive help, um, and, and uh, you know, a massive uh, person to have on the, on the backroom team with his, with his knowledge of, of coaching, with his knowledge of, of training, and everything else, and with Johnny Bradley, Mickey McCullough there as well. So it's very much a a, a combined, a collective effort. You know, and um, once you get that going in any club or any team, you always got a really good chance and but most of all obviously it's it's the players who've who've bought in completely and, and uh, you know they've they've done the business when it's been asked of them. What do you do to try and get people on side early on? What's the first thing that you do when you go in somewhere? I mean obviously you know you need to know and get to know the players, but what's the first thing that you ask of them that gets them thinking, yeah actually you know what? Um we're we're at it here and, and I'm gonna commit the way I need to commit. Um, I suppose you want to try and, and give them some sort of a vision that, that they can achieve if, if they do everything that you're asking of them, you know, so you want to paint some sort of a picture that that they feel that, that, that is worth uh, committing themselves to and, and, and committing a lot of their lives to training and everything else, you know, and 
And I suppose then after that, it's, it's, it's just a matter of, of um, improving every aspect of, of, of preparation, of play, of, of, of training and everything else, you know. And, uh, and again, I suppose it's that togetherness more than anything, you know. It's, it's, it's you know, no team is going to win anything, you know, if, 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 if people aren't playing as a team and aren't committing to each other and all that. So it's just, it's just, I suppose that's that's the main thing. It's it's, it's just getting that togetherness and and uh, and again, it has to be enjoyable as well. The, you know, the boys, if they're going to spend that much time in each other's company, they, they certainly want to be enjoying it. They want to enjoy the environment. So it's, I don't think it's it's. It, I suppose there's no silver bullet. It's it's a matter of a lot of different percentages and. Uh, and then, as the thing goes on, I suppose you, you, as you overcome more hurdles, you can you can um, reinforce those areas. And uh, so, you know, I, as I say, I don't think there's one thing, but uh, you know, it, it just builds momentum as time goes on. Shane was telling me before he uh, before we came on, we was doing research. Um, you're talking there about the soft skills of like making sure that uh, the the company is good and that, that the people are striving to be the best they can be. But the the harder skills of like the drills and the sports. Side Science. You were saying, Shane, um, 1989, the sports science goes back to... Yeah, your, your, your thesis into Mary's Malachy. Yeah, that's right. I was actually very lucky in that and that... Um um, you know, the, just uh, Jim McKeever was the the lecturer at the time, the the legendary Jim McKeever, and um, he, he, you know, lucky enough, he he asked me to get involved in this particular one, and it was looking at the uh, the VO two max capability of of players, and we did a lot of fitness testing, and, and Craig Mahoney, who who was a a sports psychologist and I suppose a performance analyst, an Australian guy who was involved with Derry, I think certainly around that time, and when the won all Ireland, he was there. Um, he 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 got me involved in that, and I certainly found out a lot of information that 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 I wouldn't have been privy to, that I would it wouldn't have have found out only that I got involved in that. And, and to be honest, I was ignorant of a lot of it. And and uh, but it was, I was I was just blessed to be you know to to, to be able to tap into Craig's knowledge and everybody else and, and uh, there was a lot of county players at that time in, on the Sigerson panel and, and they were all involved in, in doing the fitness testing so uh, you know you learn a lot from it and uh, look at I'm, I'm not saying that it, 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 it's something that I, I fall back on at the time and, and, and at first admit that it, it's it's Ryan who, who who takes charge of all that the, the the condition side of things and he's an expert in that and he's he uh, he knows exactly what's, what's, what's going on in that area so I I, I I really stand and, and, and watch him a lot, you know. But uh, no, at, at that stage, it, it certainly was a very progressive thing to be involved in, and just thankful that that, that I was given that opportunity. When you talking then about the uh, enjoyment, if it's backed up with science, I think it, it brings credibility very early on. Not, not obviously, you have credibility now with the incredible CV you put together. But the other thing that, that's changed is that players' expectations have gone through the roof. Um, I keep talking about this, but in Arthur James O'Dea's book about Limerick. Uh, there's a brilliant chapter on the academy system that they set up and one of their ambitions was that when the kids were coming in to Limerick the quality of coaching was so high that they'd be like wow this is amazing and and, and it turns out that like uh, younger generations expect things to be brilliant they have a much higher um, ceiling on their expectations than, than previous generations who would have been like okay this is just what we're going to do because we always did it now they're like questioning stuff and they've got access to all the best stuff around the world so you have to keep evolving and changing I suspect yeah, that's that's true, and 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 just as you say, I think society has changed, and there's a lot easier access to information and all this. But I think as well, there's probably more more young lads who are going on. You know, up 
here in, in, in Ulster, the, the McCrory Cup is very strong. So, you know, they're going through that system and the coaching there is at a very high level and, and, and they're being subjected to that. Then they're going on to third level education. And as well, the, the, the standards they're, they're meeting there is very high. So when they do come back to, to clubs or into, into county setups, their, their expectations are very high. And I suppose you, you have to match that. Um, and, uh, you know, I suppose that when you're asking fellas to invest as much time and to be involved and mm. in, you can you can understand that if, if they feel that this this is a wee bit below standard and it's not up to the standard, you know, we expect then, you know, they're not going to do that. The other big thing that I have noticed as well is even, you know, even from 10, 15 years ago when I started getting involved in inter-county football, the level of fitness that boys are coming into already into the club setup, like, you know, is is unbelievable. Whereas back then you would have had the start, I suppose, doing um, strength work in the gym. Now the boys are coming in, they, they've already done a lot of that, you know, and, and, and really it's got to the stage where most of those players are coming in know that if they haven't already got that level, they're going to be left behind and, and, and they don't want that happen. So definitely the, the condition of players is, is much greater and, and, and probably again, it's, it's, it's maybe the way society has changed. There's a lot more of that culture of keeping yourself fit and in good shape and going to the gym and that sort of thing. So probably that all helps as well. 